0: Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly.
1: My child, I see you, weary and faint, lost in the abilities of your own strength, struggling to stay above water, clawing for air as your personal waves crash down harder, beating against the shore rocks over and over and over. Longing, lonely and wanting, beaten and surrounded by worthlessness, hopelessness and rejection as it laughs, casting you out, covering your ears with its declarations that you are leftovers, waste, damaged goods, representing no one, belonging to no one because you are no one. Hurt being the one who betrays your mouth, isolation becoming your home in your mind, body and soul, outwardly masked by being independent, when truly, you're just sinking in a sand of despair and desperation, to be seen, be heard, and to belong, clinging on the world's grains of sand that continuously fall through the cracks of your hands, holding on so tight to what seems like something, only to disappear into nothing, longing for your heart to be provided for on this lonely, lost shore. Be still, my beloved, my child come to me take a deep breath and let go and you'll see all along I've called you my own I've already made you a home my doors are flung open and my arms are ready to embrace to wipe away every tear from your face covering your past with my grace do you know who you belong to I am that I am. By a single breath I can melt these lands. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Eternity dwells within me. And yet I humbled myself and came to this place to the lowest form of creation's race. As I grew up with all the temptations, the struggles, iniquities and all rejected, cut off by my family, my bride, my friends who denied me. You see, the Father knows what it feels like when you lose someone as they ridiculed, pierced, and murdered me, my father's son. But by His Spirit, I was the one to overcome all. Arising and conquering, death in the grave cannot hold me. I did it willingly because it was you. It was you I was always wanting. You see, it wasn't this one-time event. It was an event from the beginning to the end. As the true vine, I wanted to graft you in, to inherit bearing my fruit and everything that I am and have to give. So awake now, my children, and live. Not as the world says, adoption or leftovers, orphans, mindsets, staying afloat, or just as survivors, no, not at all. Live, believing and knowing that you were always my sons and daughters you are mine belonging to me i am that i am i'm coming back for you don't you see holding the seven stars in my hand i will march with the fullness of love on this land and jealousy burning in the fire of my eyes i will split these skies the earth will quake at my returning as i come with the fullness of heaven's armies It'll be like no other day, longing for you for 2000s, over 2000s, I've prayed. And now I will have my way, and I will get the final say. Your sorrows will be washed away as hell mourns out because it's the end of its time. I have you, and I will take you, you as my bride, with the fullness of my glory, you will shine, beautiful, spotless and victorious. So, my beloved, you see, it's not just personal to you, it's personal to me. Take a deep breath, look up, and let go. Trust me, I have you to have and to hold forever.
0: Wow, that was, that was awesome. You know, it, it never ceases to amaze me how blessed I am. I have the greatest wife that I could have ever asked for, and she exceeded all of my dreams. And and was she does things that I never would have thought of that I could do. And her passion for the Lord is infectious. And she just—it's that was personal to me too, you know. And it's just touching and. Let's just pray for a second. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for today, Lord God. We thank you for what you're doing, Lord God. We thank you that you are in this place, Lord God, and that you have called us, and it's his personal for you, Lord God, that you've called us to be with you, Lord God. And I just pray that even now that your presence would enter into this room, Lord God, and it would be like a cloud in this place, Lord God. And I just pray that, Lord, the words that I speak would be your words, Lord. And not my own. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series called Jesus and You. And as Ben and I were sitting down and kind of planning for this series, we wanted to spend a little bit of time focusing on the personal aspects of Jesus. You know, oftentimes we we do get kind of hung up on, on the what's of Jesus and, and what he does and what roles that he plays. And, and we, do, we need to know those things. We need to know that he's the son of God. And we need to know that he created the word, the world, and that he is the word. We need to know that he's the son of God, like I said, and the savior of the world. But if that's where our knowledge stops, if that's all we know about him, we don't know him. Because you have to be in relationship with somebody to know them. And so that's what this series is about. It's about getting to know Jesus and who he says he is and who he says he is to us. And so that's why we used spoken words with this series. Normally we use videos, and my brother Tyler, he does a fantastic job. Those videos are awesome, and we look forward to them every Sunday, at least I do. But for this series, we wanted that personal touch. And so we picked a few people from our congregation and, and asked them to just pour their hearts forth and let us hear what the Lord is to you. And so I got the privilege of having my wife do her spoken word when I was going to speak. And I now get the privilege to speak on behalf of the Lord and to present the gospel to you. And I don't take that lightly. It's a privilege, and and I'm thankful for it. And that brings us to John. The gospel of John is the unique gospel of the four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. The synoptic Gospels basically means that they're synonymous that they that they they're telling the same story from in generally the the same historical perspective, and that's really what they were is a retelling of the story of Jesus in, in his time in the earth and it's it's more um, linear in time. John, however, is unique because John is writing not necessarily in this linear historical format but in he's more writing to make a point he's making an argument assertion and if if any of you, when you were in college, remember this, there's a big difference between papers that we write in high school and papers we write in college. In high school, we just kind of, we read a book, and then we, we make a report, and then we kind of just basically regurgitate that information back to the teacher. We're not really making an argument. We're not making a point. But in college, they basically, they, they up the ante a little bit on you. You have to not only write a paper and write it well, but you have to make a point. You have to make an argument. It's called a thesis. And John is definitely making a point. He's making, he's making an assertion. He's making many assertions, but I would say the ultimate assertion he makes within this gospel is he's, he's making the point that Jesus is God. And he backs it up. He does it in a number of ways. One of the main ways, I think, is he, uses, he has these seven statements that he, that he recounts that Jesus makes during his three years of ministry, and it's called the I Am Statements. And those are the statements that we're we're covering during this Jesus and You series. And those I am statements were powerful statements because they tell us a lot about Jesus. He says, "I am the light. I am the truth." And those do tell us things about Him. But they weren't. That wasn't the end of those statements. Those are, in in fact, for the Jews, those were outrageous statements. And the reason that is is because. I am held very strong weight in the Hebrew culture because back in Exodus, Moses, when he's being charged by God to go into Egypt and to free his people and to lead them out of Egypt, Moses asks the Lord, he says, who should I say sending me? What's your name? Who is this God? And God responds and he says, I am that I am. And that in and of itself is a powerful statement. We heard it in Jill's spoken word. And the Jews were very familiar with this statement. It had power, it had weight, it was was a, a title. And so when Jesus is standing up and in the context that he's speaking, and speaking to the people, and when he says, I am the light, he is making the statement he's the light, but even more so he's making the statement, I am God. And that's why we see Pharisees responding the way they do. Is they pick up stones and they want to chase him out of the city and kill him because here's this man who's flesh and blood, who's standing up and saying, I am the invisible God, standing before you. So it was, a, I mean, it was a bold, bold statement. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to dive into John a little bit. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." That's a beautiful passage and a terrifying passage at the same time. It's beautiful because he uses this imagery. This, it's, he's speaking about a metaphor of describing the vine and the branches. And the unique thing about it is, is he's using not some experience that he had, not something from his past. He's using something from creation. And I, I usually call these things like living metaphors because it, it's something that people, they didn't have to have any kind of special knowledge to understand. they they had seen vines and branches their entire life. And so it was something that could go out and walk away from this mountaintop or wherever Jesus was saying this and go out and they could see vines and they could see branches and they could see it practically playing out for them. And it's just, it's an awesome... It's an awesome picture, and he's using metaphor the same way we use metaphor, the same reason we use analogies. We use met- analogies and metaphors because it allows us to intuitively dispel information to people without having to spell it all out and spend a long time talking about it. Because you see that and understand branches and vines, and there's a lot of things that you just inherently know. And I think that the metaphor, the reason he's using this metaphor is he has a point he's making to us beyond the fact that he's God, And he wants to tell us what God's creative intent was in the beginning and what his creative intent was now for us. And that intent was that God made man to be in dependent relationship with him. That's a difficult concept for some of us because we live in a very independent culture, America is very independent. I mean, look at some of our founding documents. You know, it's called the Declaration of Independence. So this concept of being totally dependent on something is foreign to us. We, don't, we kind of inherently don't like it. We resist putting our faith and dependency in something else. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a challenging concept to grasp, but it's the truth. And God is showing us that he made us to be in that dependent relationship with him because a branch, as you can tell in the metaphor, cannot survive on its own. A branch must be connected to the vine. If you cut the branch off, it falls to the ground and it withers and it dies. This somewhat reminds me of a story. Um, not even a story. It was really an experience. And it was this previous sun, this summer. My father and my brother and I, we took a trip. And it was to San Francisco. Um, Tyler had been working really hard. He was really tired. So he needed, a, he needed a break. He needed to just kind of go chill out. And my dad, my dad had just been through this stressful experience of trying to sell his business. And we just needed a chance to, as a family, just come together and, and uh, as father and son time and just spend some time together. And so Tyler had always wanted to go to San Francisco. My dad had been previously and had gone to Napa Valley. And he wanted to take Tyler and I to Napa Valley because he, he loves wine. He collects it. And he, he just wanted us to share that experience with him. So we we fly to San Francisco this past summer, and we we have some awesome dinners and great wine. And eventually, we spend a couple of days in Napa Valley too. And so we go around and visit all these different vineyards and wineries. And we visit this one called A and And my dad had met this this man who the proprietor of A an and before, and his name's Grant. And he just loved this guy. He just because I think he kind of reminded him of himself because Grant's a pretty entrepreneurial guy. He's, he's a go-getter. He's talented. He does all these things. So dad wanted us to meet him, and we wanted to visit with him. So we go to the Grant's estate and visit the vineyard, and we're sitting at his patio, and he's, he's telling us about the process of how to make wine and how long he's been in operation and all these things. And at the same time, he's opening up these various bottles of wine. Well, finally, he comes, and he opens up this this. 2011 Cabernet. And he goes on to tell us how proud he is of this Cabernet. And we ask, well, why? Why are you so proud of it? I mean, it tastes great, but what's, what's special about it? And he said that across the board in Napa Valley, 2011, critically, was a down year for wine. Wine wasn't as good in 2011. And then he goes on to tell us why. Because in Napa Valley, the weather is so perfect growing grapes that, he said, the farmers really have kind of gotten a little lazy because it's just this perfect setup. They don't even have to do anything, and the grapes are are magnificent. They come forth, and and they're they're beautiful for winemaking. And that process is is normally like this. In the spring, rains come, and this is during the time when the, the grapes are still buds. They're still kind of flower pods, and they're kind of far apart. They're not really becoming a cluster of grapes like we think of yet. And so the rains come, and the, the water helps them grow. And then once the summer comes, that's when the heat comes, and, and that's when gra- grapes grow and become full clusters of grapes like we think of. And the rains don't come anymore once the heat comes. Well, in 2011, weather didn't abide didn't by the rules, didn't go by the rules. So this, in the rain, the rains came in the spring. And they stopped, and the heat came, and those grapes started to to grow from those buds and became full grapes. But then the rains came again. And what happened was is that rain gets trapped inside those grape clusters. Because those grape clusters have grown and began to touch, it kind of creates this insulated pocket. And so the heat can no longer get inside the grape clusters and remove that water. Well, within a few weeks mold started to form on those grape clusters and some of the farmers didn't know really think what to do and plus this is a very expensive career to grow grapes it's not cheap so there's a lot of money that they've put into these vines and so they're kind of just like rolling the dice and hoping that these grapes survive because there's going to be they're going to lose a lot of money well grant he doesn't take that approach Grant immediately, as soon as he sees that mold, he's out in his, his vineyard and he's cutting clusters to the ground. And it just represents money just to himself and to his wife, and it's just in the dirt, and he's just leaving it there. But the reason he did that was because he knew, because he's been trained properly in Europe and other places, that if that, was, if that mold was left to grow, it could destroy the entire crop, the entire yield of grapes. And that's ultimately what happened for all those other winemakers is they lost their entire yields of grapes. And so then they had to go source grapes from other places to try to fulfill their wine for 2011. And so that's why the wine was worse, because it wasn't their grapes. But Grant did what was necessary to save his grapes. And so he cut them to the ground and he he let those grapes fall to the ground and die. And I imagine it wasn't a fun experience for him. He didn't enjoy it. And that brings us to, to this passage, and it, it applies perfectly to us because you see, just like those, that mold emerged from the heart of those grape clusters, we see this picture of Adam. Adam was designed from the beginning of time. When God made Adam, he made him differently than he made other creation. He had a personal aspect of making, making Adam. He formed Adam from the dust of the ground with his own hands. Other parts of creation, he speaks it forth, and it just comes forward. But with Adam, he molded him from the dust of the ground, and then it says that he breathed life into him. And this, he did it differently because Adam was different. He, God made trees to be trees, and he made tree, mountains to be mountains, but he made man to be in relationship with him. But then Adam rejected that relationship. He chose independence. He chose his own knowledge and his own strength. And because of that just like that mold out of the heart of those grape clusters, sin and iniquity burst forth from his heart. And because of that, just like those grape clusters, we were cut off from our vine, from our source of life. And we were, once again, dependent upon ourselves and not on God. And just like a branch, a branch may linger on once it's been cut off. It may linger on for a little bit. The leaves may stay green for a few days. But relative to the life of the tree or the vine, it's, it's just a second. It lingers on, but eventually it's going to wither, it's going to brown, and the leaves are going to fall over and die. And it will never produce fruit. And that's us. And that's not fun. That's not fun to consider. And it almost leaves you in a place of what hope do we have? But we have hope in Jesus, because just like that living metaphor of the vine and the branches, and even connected to that living living metaphor of the vine and the branches, God has this natural phenomenon that He put into creation, and it's called grafting. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. But grafting is this process where a branch that's been cut off from a plant, a tree, or a vine, or anything, can once again be taken, and if you place it next. To that to that vine or that trunk where it was cut off and leave it, you know, stabilize it and keep it there. Eventually, that tree or that vine will once again adopt back in, take back in that branch that was removed. And this is an awesome picture of adoption. But the thing is, is I lo- I know Grant would have loved to gone back and taken those those grapes off the ground and put them back on his vine and kept those grapes from, from being killed and destroyed and, and losing that money. But he wasn't going to do it as long as that mold was there because what's the point? Why would you do that? He would just risk losing his crop all over again. But if he could have removed that mold, if he could have purged that mold from those grape clusters, of course he would have immediately grafted those grapes back in. But that's what Jesus did. We had a penalty that we, were, we had to pay because we chose dependence, independence from God. And when you choose independence from life, because Jesus has already said in previous weeks, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you separate yourself, if you become independent from life, what are you left with? You're left with death. And so that's what we had left. But Jesus paid that price for us and allows us to once again be adopted back into the family of God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, highlights this. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And that's that picture right there. That's grafting, that's the natural phenomenon of grafting expressed through adoption in the spiritual realm. It's an amazing picture. And I love the fact that it starts off, but when the fullness of time had come, because that, that talks about that God had a plan and he had a purpose from the very beginning. And, this, and when the moment was right, Jesus emerges in the earth to save us, to pull us back from death, and to pay that price for us. And it just gives us hope, and it gives us knowledge of knowing that because Adam chose independence, he had to go work and strive on his own. But it shows us that God will take care of it if we rely on him, if, we to, if we're willing to be dependent on that vine. The vine provides for the branches. The branches don't, don't supply their own food, their own stability. They don't provide their own structure. The roots, the vine, that's the life Because if, you t- if they did, you could cut a branch off and it would survive. But it doesn't. The vine goes on, though. It's just an amazing picture. You know, and, and this, this highlights... God's, like I said, the, the passage of what God meant to be and God wants now, and that's that, to restore us. We know that God made us to be in relationship with him, but this verse in Galatians and this idea of adoption kind of clarifies that relationship for us. This isn't just a relationship between a God and his creation. This isn't a relationship between a teacher and a student or some taskmaster and his, and his slaves, this is a relationship between a father and his children. Because that's what we were made to be. Adam is even referred to in Scripture. We've all heard that Jesus is the Son of God. Almost anybody you could ask on the street and say, who is Jesus? And they're like, oh, he's, he's the Son of God, or you know, he's the Messiah, or something like that. But no one, very few people know that Adam is referred to as the Son of God. In the very genealogy of Jesus, it goes backwards and it ends with the words, Adam, who was the son of God. And that tells us that you and I were made to be children of God, to be in that relationship. And just like in Galatians chapter, the last verse, it says that we're an heir with him. If you're his child, you're his heir. And that that was an important statement. I mean, we have heirs now, we all have wills, and we do things like that with our children. But in Hebrew time, an heir was vital. We see it all the time with the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would, when they were on their deathbeds, they would place their hands upon the foreheads of their sons and they would, they would pray for them and they would bless them and then they would give them their inheritance. That lineage, that continuity. And it was about, and even more than that, sons, especially in the Jewish culture, weren't just, they were supposed to be the very reflection of their father. And we see this, even bar mitzvahs, at 12 years old, the son was recognized as a man. And then he would spend the next 18 years learning and studying under his father so that when he was 30, his father would emerge to his friends and his family and he would say, look, this is my son, fully grown, fully mature, just like me. And we see, G- we see God do this with Jesus. At 12 years old, he's at the temple and he says, Jesus at the temple and he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and he's about his father's business. And then at 30, at the beginning of his ministry, God presents his son to the earth and he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that is important for us to know, but it's not just because we need to know Jesus personally, but it's important to know for us because that's what God's doing in all of us. He wants to present all of us to the earth as his son in whom he's well-pleased, fully mature. Representation of him. Jesus was the representation, the image of God in the earth, and as Adam was intended to be, and, how, and what we're supposed to be again. The image of God didn't leave when Jesus left. He left his body, which is us, to be the image of God in the earth today. And that leaves a question of, what are we, what's our inheritance? If I'm a son or a daughter, what's my inheritance in the Lord? 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope And what, how, it's an incredible thing. God wants to not just, he's not just giving us gold or silver or, or these, these possessions that, that in the physical realm, that's what we, we desire from our parents. You know, they give us their wealth or whatever. God doesn't give us that. He gives us him. And, he, and he's everything. And he's undefiled. And he's, he's perfect. And that represents this fruit. That's the fruit that we see right here. Because it says in the scriptures that branches can't produce fruit on their own, they only bear it. The vine is the one that produces the fruit. And we don't produce our inheritance when we get it from our parents. (laughs) The Lord Lord gives it to us, our parents give it to us and it's from their work. And that that should give us hope because it's not dependent on what you and I do, but who we're relationship with. And if I have a father, I have an inheritance and that inheritance is him. And over time, that fruit will begin to emerge. And it's in his timing, just like it was in the timing of, for Jesus to emerge in the earth, the timing for that fruit to birth, to birth out of me will happen. And the amazing thing about that fruit is it's not mine. I didn't earn it. I didn't produce it. It's his. And it's literally his glory, his majesty, his characteristics present upon us. We're a testimony We're a proclamation to the earth, to creation, to the universe that God is good and a fulfillment of what his intended destiny is. I want to go ahead and call the worship team up. God is our inheritance. That's what God was intending when he made Adam from the beginning of time. He made Adam to be his son, and Adam chose independence from dependence on God. But Jesus came back, and, and through Adam, we were left to die, we were left in the dirt, we were, we were going to wither, we were going to brown, we were not going to have a life. But through Jesus, we are once again given a way back into him, we can be adopted back into Christ. And with, when we are adopted back into the faith, back into the family of God, that's when we come alive. That's why these songs are so perfect for today. We come alive in Christ. We're once again full and green and our leaves are, are big and luscious and our fruit comes forth. And it's his fruit. And if that's you, if you feel left out, if you feel cut off, if you feel like a wandering boat just out, just being Toss back and forth, and you, you feel completely alone. Jesus is here, and he's inviting you. He's inviting you back in. I've already paid that price. You don't have to die. You don't have to be independent. You don't have to produce for yourself. You don't need to worry and have anxiety about where's my food coming from or where's my life going or where am I, what about my kids and all this stuff. He's done it all. We just just have to cry out to him and say, take me, restore me, and he will. And if that's you, don't wait another moment. Don't pass on the moment when the Lord's calling you. He's calling you home. He's not requiring anything of you. He's not, it's not religion. He's not asking you to fulfill this law or this rule or do this or that. He just wants to know you and you, you know him. What father doesn't want to know his children? And if he doesn't, he's not a father. But we serve a great, great and mighty father who's willing to pay the death that we deserve so that we can once again be restored. If that's you, just you can just close your eyes. You can raise your hands. You can make a silent prayer to yourself. You can come forward because after the song's over, we're going to have prayer leaders here that can lead you to the Christ. All it is is just cry out in whatever way you want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you for Jesus who not only came as the eternal Father to restore us to our family, Lord God, but he came as our brother and he came as a man and he came to restore us. He he did what Adam could not. And even though we We're cut off and we were left in that dirt, left with that mold and that sin and iniquity. We've been washed clean and it's been purged and as far away from us as the east is from the west. You've allowed us, if we choose to come back to you, to become back a part of that vine and come alive and alive in you. We thank you, Father. I praise you, Jesus' name. Amen.